Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you either here or at home, I would invite you to take them and turn to Philippians chapter 1, where we're going to read verses 21 to 26 together. And if you're here and wouldn't mind standing in honor of the Word of God, I would appreciate that. Philippians 1, 21 to 26. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In 1991, Robert Ludlum introduced his millions of readers to Dr. Jack Ryan in his book, The Sum of All Fears. The book was compelling enough that Hollywood not only noticed it, but turned it into a movie that hit the big screen in 2002. Both the movie and the book are intricate, and fast-paced, and cover all different places all over the world. But the crux of the plot is that a neo-Nazi group gets a hold of a undetonated nuclear warhead that was left over from the Middle East War in 1973. And their objective is to create a nuclear war between the United States and Russia. Russia had just gone through a presidential change from a guy that they knew really well to a guy that they really didn't know at all. And the terrorists planned to detonate the nuclear warhead at a football game in Baltimore, Maryland, detonating a bomb on U.S. soil with an unknown president just having taken over in Russia would undoubtedly and understandably precipitate a nuclear response from the U.S., a counter-response from Russia, and Armageddon for the rest of the world. So in the minds of those living in 1991, the sum of all fears, the, the combination of the worst fears that they could possibly think of, was of the human race being wiped out in a nuclear holocaust. Here we are 30 years later in 2021, and the sum of our fears has radically changed, hasn't it? Aside from the saber rattling in the South China Sea, as China and its neighbors uh, threaten each other, the thought of all-out nuclear war or even limited nuclear war is on the back burner if it's even on the stove at all anymore. It has been replaced by a global fear of a different sort. 
not an unforeseen nuclear war that leads to total end of life, but a mysterious and mutating virus that slinks around in the air we breathe, that stifles the conversations that we could have, that strangles our means to provide for our families, that blocks us from the presence of those we love, interacts with our bodies in the strangest of ways, from no symptoms at all, to removing the taste of my neighbor, to requiring ventilators and causing an undignified end of life for others. Now what I've witnessed in person and in the media is not just the sum of all fears for national presidents and CIA operatives that Clancy wrote about, but fear and its second cousin panic about COVID on a global scale. As the hot potato of being the most recent hot spot for the disease is passed from country to country and region to region. This is the world we're living in now, perhaps will be for months to come, a world that is consumed by fear. And it's not just fear of the disease, it's fear of the vaccines created to protect us from the worst effects of the disease. We're saturated by fear, even sometimes shamelessly victimized by fear-mongering. But what should our response be as Christians? How should Christians respond to the scary disease that at times seems to be just one step ahead of us? Should we join the thousands of conspiracy theorists who refuse to wear masks and disobey government orders and restrictions that limit how we meet as families and faith communities and needlessly put ourselves in danger? Or on the other hand, should we buy all the toilet paper and freeze-dried food and masks and sanitizers we can get our hands on and cower together in the basements of our homes, refusing to venture out? What should our response to COVID be as disciples of Christ? Well, today I want to give you an answer to this question in the form of a perspective that you're, you're going to have to wrestle with. Because even though it's true and clear, its application is complicated. So that you and the Holy Spirit will need to decide what your response is to this given your situation in life. But what I do promise you is a provocative perspective from the Apostle Paul that should shape how we live as disciples during covid to consider Paul's perspective, I want us to explore the passage that we read and other bits in the letter of Philippians. To begin with, as a background, we need to acknowledge that Paul is in prison in Rome. History reports that he was under house arrest in Rome, and so if you compare that with all of his other imprisonments, this would be the most comfortable of, the, of them all. And yet history also tells us that for two years, he was confined in that house. For two years, he was waiting for the verdict of his trial. So he had no freedom of movement. He couldn't do what he felt he was called to do, to 
plant churches in the then known world. He was locked down by being locked up. And as he ponders the verdict of his trial and the end to come, he speaks of two possible outcomes of that. One is that he would be released. That's the option that he anticipates, even though in the end he knows he has no control at all over what happens. But he shows a confident hope that the outcome of all of this is going to be released into further ministry. He writes in verse 25, I know I shall remain, in other words, I'll stay on the earth and continue with you for the progress and joy in the faith. I'd say that's a confident statement that locked down by being locked up is going to end in his release into ministry. And yet for us to understand Paul's perspective and how disciples should live in a COVID world, it's extremely important that we also notice that Paul acknowledges a second potential in outcome of his imprisonment. One that is far more grim, and it is this, that his incarceration would end with his execution. The possibility of his death is also taking up some bandwidth within his mind. In fact, he mentions it twice, once directly and once indirectly, just in the area where we read. His direct reference is in the back half of verse 21, where he says, to die is gain. Words like that don't come out of a vacuum, but rather they come out of meditation on its possibility. And two verses later, he speaks about it indirectly, using an image that refers to a boat setting sail for a new place, a new land. It's the, it's the word departing, departing this world to be with Jesus. So as Paul mulls over the situation, with his brilliant mind and time on his hands, he has two potential outcomes of his imprisonment either leaving prison in a robe or in a body bag. He figures that it will probably be a robe, but again, he really has no certainty of that. Now, you know from experience that without committing anything criminal, we find ourselves in an existential predicament that shares some of the characteristics of Paul's imprisonment without sharing them all. Our confinement is different, but still acknowledged by the government as a, a form of needed restriction. Less free movement, no unmasked face-to-face -face visits with friends or family in a closed room, no in-person dining, and I could go on, and potentially pondering what our end might be with the stop and start rollout of vaccines and the sinister mutations of this potentially deadly virus that has much of the world in its grip, has its grip on India's throat, and according to the mayor yesterday, per capita, cases per 100,000, has Calgary in its grip as well. Now, most of us probably share the Paul's confident hope that we're going to 
go home from this prison-like experience. We're going to be released and experience life. While at the same time, there are daily reminders, if you watch the same news that I do at five, that we could join the 2,000 Albertans who have died from this disease. So although we certainly do not share all of the aspects of Paul's imprisonment, we have the two endings in common for how all of this is going to play out. An unrestricted life that could lead to ministry for Christ, or an untimely death that could lead into His presence. So again I ask, how are we as disciples in a COVID world to live where we face life and death outcomes. Now, what I find fascinating and personally challenging is not just Paul's sharing of the two and the two alternative endings, but his emotional response and wrestling with them. Because behind Paul's response to these two endings is a remarkable perspective that we, we may well have forgotten in the last 14 months of mayhem. A shocking perspective that should inform and probably even give shape in two ways to how we should be living as believers. One perspective, two ways that it affects us. Let's begin with the perspective. In a line, here is Paul's perspective. Paul was infatuated with Jesus. Paul was infatuated with Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you might be slightly uncomfortable with that word infatuation. I wrestled with it, as my wife can testify. But think about what infatuation is. You've never been infatuated, of course. Someone else has, and you have seen it. Someone who is infatuated has, if you're infatuated, that other person consumes your every thought and emotion. They determine your behavior. They're your first thought in the morning and last thought at night. You long for more and more of their presence, to know them more and more intimately, which is a perfect description of Paul's relationship to Jesus. The only difference being that infatuation is a it's kind of a flame that goes up and then down. Paul's continued. And the book of Philippians show, shows us that Paul was totally infatuated with Jesus. In fact, it screams at you in a number of places. In chapter 1, verse 20, he talks about his earnest hope and expectation. That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that in all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I am so over the moon in love with Jesus that I don't care if I live or die. All I care is that whether I live or die, Christ is exalted as a result. The verse that follows is the first one we read this morning. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That means that the only one who determines what my life is, is Jesus. And to die is gain. Why? Well, because then I get even more of Him. 
In chapter 3, Paul speaks about his accomplishments, which were substantial, but counts them as nothing for Christ's sake. More than that, he says in verse 9, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing knowledge of what? Of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain more of Christ. Verse 10, he says, my goal is that I may know Him more. Can you see it? Paul was so infatuated with Jesus that Jesus was everything to him. Everything he did was for Christ. Every breath he took was for Christ. Everything he gave up was just a means to know him more and be closer to him. That's a powerful perspective that shaped Paul, even in his lockdown, including his thoughts about the future and the way that he lived, absolute infatuation with Jesus. And this is the perspective that may have faded from our minds in the last 14 months, where a preoccupation with COVID has replaced a preoccupation with Christ. Now I mentioned that there was one perspective which can affect our lives in two ways. We see the first way that it can affect our lives as we look at how Paul wrestles with these two outcomes of his imprisonment, life or death, notice that he uses the words of inner angst. He begins with a striking admission in verse 22 where when pondering the outcome of each of them, life or death, he says, I don't know which one to choose. Now that doesn't seem normal, does it? Obviously, the final decision is not his, but, I mean, you choose life, don't you? Or do you? He's not sure. Then in the beginning of verse 23, he describes how intense his struggle really is. He says, I am hard-pressed from both of these directions. Like a car in an automobile crusher, Paul has these two outcomes crushing against him. That word hard-pressed has a lot of semantic meanings. It can also mean to be tormented. I'm crushed by these two alternatives. I am tormented by them. They steal sleep from my eyes. So Paul has this intense struggle between two outcomes of his trial when the choice for us would be pretty obvious. Of course we would prefer life. COVID has presented us with the same two outcomes that Paul faced. Release into freedom as the disease is handled, or release into his presence should the disease overtake us. We have the same futures before us that Paul had before him. But at the point where Paul shares his preferred future outcome, there may be a powerful and dramatic parting of the ways between us and the apostle because he comes to a conclusion that might be foreign to us, even repulsive to us. 
we can see his conclusion to the question of life or death in the last half of verse 23. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, life and death, having the desire to depart and be with Jesus, for that is very much better. In case we missed it, Paul is saying, if I have the choice personally of life or death, I will choose death any day of the week. And his personal preference is not just a 51 to 49% thing where the decision to die barely squeaks by. No. Instead, he literally says in the original language that departing to be with Christ is far, far better. Can you see Paul's radical departure from the ways in which we as his brothers and sisters in Christ may be thinking or feeling or behaving today? Our testimony might read, I'm not really that hard pressed by this choice at all. Staying alive is far, far better and departing to be with Jesus should be far, far, far away. One result of that assumption is that in a COVID world where death is a possibility, we could be living terrified lives. Instead of saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we would say, for me to live is tenuous and to die is terrifying. Now, as you hear what Paul is saying, please also hear what he is not saying. He's not saying, if I get released, I'm going to find the nearest bridge and jump off because death is better. He's not advocating suicide. He's not saying, burn your masks and refuse your vaccination. Look for a large gathering of unmasked strangers who are hugging and go and join in. Sneak into the intensive ward of foothills and, and kiss a COVID patient on the side of the lips right beside the ventilator tube. It's not what he's saying. He is simply saying that for you as an individual Christian, death is better than life. Given his druthers, he passionately proclaims that he would rather die and be with Jesus. So in case you haven't noticed, Paul is absolutely and totally fearless about the prospect of death. That the sum of all his fears has nothing to do with the cessation of his life. Now, there's a better than average chance if you are living a terrified life right now where COVID has become king and is a grip, gripping you with fear that you might be getting a little bit defensive, potentially even angry. Not at me, of course, because I'm only showing you the choice of the top Christian who ever lived, but at Paul. For the audacity to write what he wrote and to challenge our fears and feelings. But perhaps instead of being offended by what is clear in Scripture, 
we should ask ourselves, how on earth could this faithful servant of Christ possibly live so fearlessly in the face of potential death? And I submit to you that it's because of his perspective. He was so infatuated with Jesus that fear of death did not matter. In fact, he knew that death was just an avenue into the fullest knowledge and experience of Jesus that is ever possible. And what is true of Paul is true of us. If we are infatuated with Jesus, we need not live terrified of COVID. And perhaps that means the need for a radical shift for some of us. A shift of preoccupation off of COVID and onto Christ, whose presence now and for eternity bans the fears that may have captured our lives and imaginations over this last 14 months. So the first implication is that we are infatu- if we're infatuated with Jesus, we need not fear death. Paul's infatuation with Christ has a second application. It didn't just eliminate his fear, it motivated his service. Motivated his service. As Paul reflects on his life and death outcomes, he said that personally, and here's a, a, power, a significant change, personally I would refer death, but for the sake of others, I would prefer to go on living and resume ministry. My sake, take me home. Sake of others, keep living. And so his passion for Jesus shaped his life even in lockdown in a couple of ways that we can actually follow and do. For example, he writes beginning in chapter 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else too, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. What's Paul talking about? Well, what he's saying is that lockdown didn't shut down the spread of the gospel. He couldn't share the gospel wherever he wanted, but he shared the gospel where he was planted. Everyone within earshot of Paul in that house heard about Jesus. Because those who are infatuated with Jesus can't help but share the love, the story. Even in Paul's lockdown, people were dramatically saved. Sharing the gospel knows no limits for those who are infatuated with Jesus. Backyards, park walks, Zoom calls become old and new avenues for sharing the gospel to those who are overwhelmed by Christ but restricted. The gospel is not limited by locked borders or locked doors or locked down or travel bans. If we've got a phone, If we've got a tablet or a computer with an internet connection and friends who don't know Jesus and a heart that has been captured by Him, 
then your world waits to hear the good news about Christ. Infatuation with Jesus motivates our service in the form of evangelism, sharing Christ with those who don't know Him. The second form of evangelism that the infatuation with Jesus compels is edification, the building up of those who do know Christ. Paul writes in chapter 2 of sending Timothy to them because he would be concerned for their welfare and therefore would care for them well. Then he adds in verse 25, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly. So Paul is hoping to be released, believing he will be released, and penciling in a visit to them when he is. Why would he do that? Well, in chapter 1, verse 25, he says, I know that I will remain here and will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. You know, in the ancient world, the, the distance between Rome and Philippi was 7,415 kilometers as the crow flies. And you and I both know that roads do not follow as the crow flies. So who knows how many extra thousand kilometers he would end up walking. Why, why would he go all that way just to be with them? Well, because he's so... He so loved Jesus that he couldn't help but minister to those whom Jesus loved. Because of my love for Christ, I have a passion to grow you his, as his people, to be more like him, to have his joy overcome your suffering. We don't need to look very far to see people in all churches, including ours, we're in a world of hurt right now. Many are suffering staggering losses, difficult to treat illnesses, loneliness, not knowing how to live in a pandemic because never been in one before, wondering what the Bible says that can give us some guidance in this. And we are here for such a time as this. Overcome by the love of Christ, whose love has been shed abroad in our hearts so that we in turn can love others. Because of all that, we can care. Not five people doing everything, but everyone doing something in Jesus' name. And we can share what God has shown us in His Word about how to live in a pandemic. How do we even grow and be more like Christ in all of this stuff? Earlier I asked a broad question. How should Christians live in a COVID age? There are dozens of answers, but today we looked at one. And if I combined it all together, it would be in the sentence that you can see on the screen. If we are infatuated with Jesus, we can live without fear of death and minister life to others despite COVID. If we live infatuated with Jesus, we can live without fear of death and minister life to others.
despite COVID. Well, perhaps you would have to admit today that what was once an infatuation with Jesus is now hardly a passing interest. Hundreds of other things, occasions, circumstances, people have stolen your passion and your attention so that Jesus hardly gets a polite wave from you from across the street. But then you see Paul's life, and his passion resonates with you. And you remember potentially being close to that or like that, and you wonder, man, how could I become like that again? How could I fall in love with Jesus again? I can think of no better start right now in this room than to remember and reflect on his life and death and love for you symbolized today in the bread and the cup. His body that was broken, his blood that was poured out because of his great love for the world and for you. Remembering his loving sacrifice for you and recalling all that has been given to you, forgiven from you, can put paddles to the heart of a Christian that seems to have flatlined and get it beating again to love Christ. It can start even as we share in communion together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance on you and grant you His peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect or go online to BethanyChapel.com and click Come. Thanks again and God bless you.